This is Transistor, a science series from PRX. Hey, Genevieve here at PRX, and before we get into this week's episode, I have a recommendation for you. PRX and Honolulu Civil Beat have launched a new podcast that is great, and I think you should give it a try. Offshore is what it's called, and it offers true stories from Hawaii, beyond the palm trees and that island paradise stuff. Because sometimes being in the middle of nowhere gives you a good perspective on everywhere else, including what's happening on the mainland. The first serialized season investigates the deaths of two young native Hawaiians, one in 1932 and the other in 2011. That's Offshore, and it's out now in iTunes or wherever you do your podcast thing. I don't judge. Now to Transistor. I am a musician. I was trained on the cello, so if you're like me, this next science story may have some special meaning. Producer Tobin Lowe introduces us to a composer whose music could unlock an important truth about the brain and how it processes music and language. Enjoy. You've probably never heard of Vissarion Shebelin, and chances are you've never heard his music either. When he died in 1963, his work basically died with him. And that's partly because as a composer, he was pretty by the book. He would be the perfect composer to use in a music theory class as an example of structure. In that sense, he wasn't actually a very imaginative composer. This is Meta Weiss. She's a cellist and a professor who has thought a lot about Chevaline's music. Here she is singing one of his early string quartets. Pretty, but forgettable, right? And this is the kind of stuff Chevaline was writing for a good part of his career. But then something changed. I'm going to sing you the opening of the Ninth Quartet because I know it, because I played it and studied it. But like this, nobody else would be able to do this probably unless they were a freak like me. What you're hearing is an example of a specific point in Chebeline's life when he suddenly started writing very different music. And it goes beyond a composer playing with style or trying new tricks. His music transforms. If you were to think of him as a poet, it's like his early works are all sonnets. But his later stuff? Let's say we can classify it as a sonnet based on its structure. But, like, if you were to read it, it would just be gibberish. To understand what happened to Chebeline, you should know he lived in a time when it was not easy to be a composer. Born in Siberia, he made his career in Soviet-era Russia. That meant there were a lot of restrictions on what kind of music you could write. But people around him found ways to break the rules, like his friend and colleague Dmitry Shostakovich. They were sort of like frenemies. So they um, tried to challenge each other with their compositions and try and one-up each other on who could be better. And in a lot of ways, that friendly rivalry was fueled by their differences. 
Shabaline was a modest man and considered himself a student of other composers. Shostakovich was a self-promoter. He wrote sarcastic, edgy music in his own style. It's that rebelliousness that got Shostakovich in trouble with the Soviet regime. He was accused of being unpatriotic. Shebeline stood up for his friend and paid the price. You know, nobody wanted to give him work, and um, people like didn't really want to touch him because they were afraid that being associated with him was going to be bad for their careers and, and also potentially put their lives in danger. For Shebeline, it was all incredibly stressful. As someone who considered himself a patriot, it was devastating. He was fired from his position as head of the Moscow Conservatory. He developed hypertension. And then, as if it couldn't get worse... So his first stroke was September 14th, 1953. And he recovered after a few weeks. But then, six years later... The second stroke was in 1959, on October 9th. And that was the really serious one. That second stroke was catastrophic for Shebeline. Because afterwards... He went silent. His language became pretty telegraphic, you know, just short utterances of a couple of words. This is Dr. Anirudh Patel. He's a professor of psychology. So imagine if you were, you know, only able to communicate with one or two words at a time. Patel has a special interest in Shebeline. He spent years thinking about how music and language travel through the brain. He says for a long time, researchers thought the two didn't interact. Certainly no one would ever confuse music and language, especially if you're talking about instrumental music, which doesn't have words. Um, you know, they, they sound different. They f- fulfill different functions in human life. Um, you know, you can come up with a long list of differences between them. But Dr. Patel sees it differently. In fact, he's worked for years to prove that music and language do overlap in the brain. And he has the research to prove it. Even so, what about Shebeline? In Shebeline's case, you have somebody who has a stroke who severely impacts their ability to speak and communicate with words and understand words, but who still is composing, you know, quite complex music. But it turned out nobody had ever really taken a detailed look at what he was writing before and after the strokes. So that's what Meta Weiss did. She was a doctoral student at Juilliard, and she knew she wanted to look into music and the brain. Shebeline was the perfect case study. It took a couple years, but when she finally connected her musical analysis with Shebeline's physical ailments, it clicked. And I remember just throwing like all the paper on the floor, being like, this is insane! I can't believe that this is happening right now. Like, I, I totally understand this all of a sudden. What she was seeing was that even though he kept writing music, the content had changed. His understanding of the rules of harmony was gone kind of in the same way he had lost his ability to construct a sentence. To understand what's going on here, you have to think about checkers and chess. Those are two different sets of knowledge bases, right? They have different pieces, they do different things, they move in different ways, you play with different strategies, there are different rules. But when you actually go to play... Are you really using completely separate brain mechanisms to play those two games? Well... Probably not. I mean, even though the rules of the game are different, there are some commonalities. Same goes for music and language. Two completely different sets of knowledge. But there are points at which they do intersect, and some of those intersection points are rather surprising and and not obvious at first glance. Dr. Patel studies those intersection points, one of them being syntax. That means grammar for language and harmony when it comes to music. 
What Meta found is compelling evidence of that overlap of grammar and harmony, because Shebeline lost both. It's hard to confirm what exactly caused the abrupt change in his music, but you can't deny that a lot happened in Shebeline's life. He was close friends with one of the greatest Russian composers who ever lived. He was politically ostracized, survived two strokes, completely lost the ability to speak, and he still kept writing music. And in spite of all that, his life remains kind of a footnote. And you don't ever hear in either neuroscience textbooks or music history articles about the interaction of his medical condition and his music. And that might be because on paper, Shebeline's kind of boring. To musicians, he wrote music that was just kind of okay. And for years, neuroscientists considered him a pretty open and shut case for how our brains work. And yet... That intersection of science and the arts is kind of a new thing. And and so recognizing that, you know, he was a complete person, like he wasn't just a composer, he wasn't just a brain. That's never something I think that people have wanted to explore before. It's the whole picture between his musical output and the extraordinary circumstances of his life. All that put together makes Shebeline someone worth listening to. What happens in one's brain is not cut off from what's happening in one's personal life or what's happening in one's political life. And, you know, all these things come together to produce, you know, what you become and who you are. I'm Tobin Lowe. Next time on Transistor, what dance does for us, not just socially, but scientifically. Your Transistor team is me, I'm Genevieve Sponsler, PRX Chief Content Officer John Barth, Editor Andrea Mustaine, and Josh Swartz, who mixes these stories for Transistor. Transistor is supported by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, enhancing public understanding of science, technology, and economic performance. More at sloan.org. This is PRX.